Welcome to Engage Arizona. I'm Kathy Herod. June 24th marks one year since Roe v. Wade was overturned in the Dobbs decision. The intense backlash from the abortion industry galvanized those who considered themselves pro-choice and those who hadn't really paid attention. In the pro-life movement, we celebrated, but we knew our work had reached a turning point with much work to be done to create a culture of life. We've seen voters defeat abortion measures at the ballot box while also seeing a wave of state laws protecting life. For the pro-life movement, we have to prioritize serving women and meeting their needs. Joining me again is Josiah Friedman and Riley Aker from Voices for the Voiceless, a pro-life nonprofit organization that works to ensure no woman faces an unplanned pregnancy alone. We talked about Voices on the previous episode. I encourage anyone who missed it to go back and listen to learn more about Voices and the help that is available to women facing unplanned pregnancies. Well, Josiah and Riley, let's start a year since Dobbs was overturned. We well remember that day, June 24th of 2022. Uh, I guess, both of you, what has struck you most in the past year? I mean, time flies when you acknowledge basic human rights, does it not? <laughs> no, it's, it's, been, it's been quite a year. And I think that one, one thing that's, a, that's dawned on me is that that decision one year ago was significant for the long-term world we need to build together, where no one faces unexpected pregnancy alone and, and every right to life is respected. But its value is mostly long-term. In other words, all of us are now in the fight of our lives and will be for a good long time to be able to build that world, to support these women, and to find ways for them to thrive and prosper in our world. Now, um, I think that our hearts have weighed heavy for several of the changes that have happened uh, since that decision. It has been remarkable how much it has intensified that abortion pills are now being sent through the mail into all 50 states. We're talking about Arizona, which has some law limiting this, but lacks the ability to enforce this on a federal level, right? That that would actually take anything here. Um so there are now companies, we're talking about Aid Access, an international company that's mailing abortion pills to homes in Arizona. Um, it only takes about two and a half weeks for those pills to get here, and it costs people about $110 to buy them. That's the new path to having abortions um, in our country, and it has gone undeterred, and we need to find ways to be able to empower every woman who feels like she needs to turn there. So that weighs heavy on our hearts. Yeah, Arizona law does say that abortion medication, chemical abortion pills, cannot be sent by mail right. or courier delivery. Right. And so, you know, of course, that didn't get challenged in, in court because no. uh, the pro-abortion crowd knows that they don't they can send them, and there's no there's no way to trace where they came from or anything like that. Riley, what have you seen in the last year? Yeah, I think it's been eye-opening uh, for me. I think as Josiah and I and our team have talked about this, it's it was shocking. I think we were sitting there going, oh my goodness, Roe v. Wade was just overturned. Can you believe this? And I think there was this wave of excitement about what happened, and I think we still carry that with us even now. Um, but lo- like Josiah said, there is this heaviness of, okay, we are very divided as a country over this. And that was not something um, I think we knew to the extent that we know now um, of how passionate people are about this. Um, and passionate, even, you know, there's people who did not get involved until after Roe was overturned. And there's this, this fiery uh, opponent on the other side that is ready to take down 
any law protecting preborn human life. They're ready to go after pregnancy centers. They're ready to go after groups who are online fighting for preborn human life and these women. And so I think um, in the midst of it all, we've really um, we've lost the women a little bit. Um, it's something that I've been um, feeling a heavy burden for is in all of this fighting. We've really um, drowned out to the voices of the people that really are looking to us for support um, that are sitting there going, well, you guys are fighting about all of this and I'm the one that's going through it, but you don't care, it sounds like. so. And, and this is where we find women going on the internet looking for support because they don't feel like they can trust anyone. And I think that that's been the the biggest difference that I've I've noticed and seen after Dobbs is just this uh, this very deep darkness for a lot of women and uh, a lot of women just receding into isolation. Very insightful. You know, we've often talked about okay, so abortion is not legal unless necessary to save the life of the mother mm-hmm. or rape or incest. And we felt in the last year, are you at a fourth one? Somebody I know needs one. Right. That how it's been a time of, are you really pro-life or not? What does pro-life really mean? Um, and how do we serve women? And so it's kind of been a, a wake-up call in ways, um, but very well put. What effect did it have on what you two do at Voices for the Voiceless? How did it change your ministry and your outreach? I think for the last few years, um, no one could have predicted that this would happen. But most of the work that we are focused on, the, the culture-changing work, um, didn't change when the Dobbs decision came down. Uh, it just intensified some of the need for cultural change that we were seeing. So, uh, you know, we've we've spearheaded efforts to be able to reach that woman online, and we started that effort just a few years, uh, a few years ago, and probably two years before the Dobbs decision, with, with no idea how much of this battle was going to be waged there, how much people were going to turn to on, you know, turn to the internet in their moment of, of critical distress when they feel completely isolated uh, for answers and support. And so we've ramped up our efforts there to be a voice of support, uh, a voice that shows her that she can thrive and there is a way to walk through this uh, where you can succeed on your motherhood journey. And so that's been key, I think, priority number one for us. But we've also seen this battle intensify in so many other ways. Riley mentioned our country is extremely divided and that's become, that's become well known. And to be honest, the cause of life and the message of life, I think, has lost quite a bit since that historic victory. In different states across the country, we haven't seen the progress that we needed to see. We haven't seen hearts be changed, and it feels like we've lost some hearts along the way. And so it's become of deep concern for us to figure out how can we change hearts and minds in this generation and all the generations of voters that are looking at this decision and trying to make sense of it and determine what they're going to do how can we ensure that they are for this woman and they are for her baby? How can we ensure that they're for both of them? And I think that's trying new language. So mm-hmm. some of the stuff that, that we focused on and, you know, uh, a goal that's been set. And I don't know exactly who, where it came from uh, in the life movement, but um, the goal has been articulated after Dobbs to make abortion unthinkable. And I think we, we would challenge that. We would look at that goal, the the idea of making abortion unthinkable. And let me tell you, I want to live in a world where my son asks me the question, um, how could this have happened 
in our history. And I want to explain to a dumbfounded kid that that somehow it did, and even though it doesn't make sense to him. But to get to that world, I think we need a different goal than making abortion unthinkable, which imagine exactly what it means to make something unthinkable, right? That means to create a space where a group of people feel shame about a certain thing, right? They and, and in this case, in the United States, we're talking about half of the country feeling shame about something that they've done. I'm not sure that that's truly representative of the heart of Christ, in which, we, in which no sin is truly unthinkable for any of us. None of us are that far removed from that. I think a much better goal is that we've got to create a way where motherhood is a path of prosperity in America. In other words, I think we need to redefine the goal that we're going after so that we can bring a much larger segment of the country with us. Because I think people can get behind building that goal, and I think we can do it together. So you're saying we don't talk that abortion's unthinkable, but we talk about how do we care for mothers, how do we um, have a premium again on motherhood, and that this is a, an attainable goal, and how do we support women? Exactly, exactly. And, and I'm not saying, right, I, I, I'm, don't mistake me for critiquing abortion being unthinkable in, in the wrong way. I, I'm saying it, in some senses, we need to not need it anymore. It needs to be a, a space where that, that's where we're all pulling for. And people have said, as I've brought that up, well, that's impossible. You can't create a world where that's the case. It is possible, and we need to demand that it is. It will only happen if we do believe that it is possible. And so we need to go and build that world. Well, and after 50 years of, being, of abortion being legal, for any reason, any stage of pregnancy, many of us thought, would that really happen in our lifetimes? Well, now it has. So it is a time to dream big. Yes. And, and yeah. how, can, how can we move this forward? Yes. Well, what, we talk about this. What, I mean, Riley, any specifics on how, how do we really transform the culture? How do we get that going? Well, I think uh, it, it takes a bit of time. Changing culture is not a short-term journey. It is definitely a long-term goal. Um, and I think this that we do this in a couple of ways. It, it really means getting down to the root causes of abortion. It gets to why are women choosing this? Why do women feel backed into a corner? Um, and we find that a lot of women are feeling backed into a into a corner for a lot of varying reasons um, relating to this isolation, this breakdown of community. Um, and I think at Voices, we're really, really uh, focused on making sure that we are going to the root, that we are kind of looking at this systemic reliance that we have on abortion that was created by Roe all these years ago um, and breaking down that reliance uh, kind of one day at a time. But I, I think it's going to take a while to do that. Um, it's going to take each of us. So does this mean our churches um, need to embrace women who are pregnant and how we provide circle around them and provide Absolutely. family and provide community for them? Absolutely. At the very least. Right, exactly. Yes, be does, the lowest. It should, we should lead the way on that. But it also means that our companies need to be places where you could thrive as a working mother. And it means that our educational institutions need to embrace pregnancy and parenting students. Um, it, it means that in every area of, of our society, when we're talking about someone's actual pregnancy journey, they get support. Recently, uh, some women shared with me that they think that women don't really understand what abortion is. That um, that there's a, a great need for education as far as what an abortion is. I'm not even sure that what that I understand that, but in your experience, what do you see? I mean, women they know what an abortion is. What are you seeing? I will add something, and Josiah, you can add it at the end. But um, I think that uh, maybe our movement's understanding of 
the women that we are trying to reach is a little different than it act- these women are, actually are. I would say the pro-abortion movement has done a very, very good job at making abortion very appealing. They've really stated what it is to a lot of women, whether it's medication abortion. They might dole down the side effects, the actual trauma that's related to abortions. Um, but I do think women know what they are doing when they're having abortions. And maybe that's controversial, but I, I think these women are really smart. And I think um, that really this choice is not something a lot of them want to choose. It is something they feel like they have to choose. Um, and I don't know if you want to add on to that, Josiah, but... Riley, I think that's exactly right. I, I think w- what we find is a generation of people that grew up with a window into the womb, right? We all have seen ultrasounds before. We know what's there. When, you, when it comes down to brass tacks, so many of the women who are walking through this today that we've interviewed and talked with and, and sat with and heard their stories have simply reflected that it feels like a zero-sum game. It's not a choice about whether to have an abortion or not. It's a choice about whether your life will continue or it won't. And for any of us, when we face that dilemma, we are tempted to choose ourselves. Now, it is not a fair dilemma. That dilemma should not exist. There should not be a zero-sum game for mother and child. And that's what we have to eliminate in our society. To Riley's point, Roe created a systemic dependence on abortion so that that zero-sum game was promoted because let me tell you, People could make big money off of selling it as a zero-sum game, and they did, and they haven't been held accountable for it for a long period of time. But the Dobbs decision gives us a chance to now create a world that isn't dependent on abortion, where there's no zero-sum game. So the message until Roe was overturned, the message we've heard for 50 years is it's up to the woman, it's my body, the man doesn't have anything to do with it, my body, my choice. How do you communicate back to that point of view um, a pro-life message and encourage, uh, even just encourage that that abortion-minded woman, the pro-abortion advocate, to just stop and think about uh, my body, my choice? How How do people respond to that? How can they respond to that? I think confronting that argument, we would say in two parts. So the first part is this. Um, We do not have that logical of a debate in our country over abortion. A lot of people think that the debate is philosophical and it's based on science and what science is going to win. And that's just not how human beings work. Human beings work according to story. We make emotional decisions and we justify them with, with reasons. Truthfully, the way to respond to that, I think, is to start with a story of someone you know who felt extreme isolation facing unexpected pregnancy and to share your heart for that person. Because everyone can acknowledge that the pro-choice position is a defeatist position. It says the only way for us to have prosperity in the world is if she isn't a mother. That's a defeatist position. We should be saying there is a way for her to thrive in this world with her child. That's the heart of the pro-life message and cause and needs to be shared beginning with a story. Now, as to the argument, which I do think should be addressed, my body, my choice, um, it's, it is one of the few compelling arguments in the pro-choice space. It is well thought through because we are talking about someone's real body. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Up, uh, Equal Rights <laughs> Institute's an organization I, I, I would go to uh, for this particular metaphor. They helped me understand it. Um, but one of the things they said was, uh, you know, 
imagine you are you have a balloon house, right? You're an old man, and little kid knocks on the door, and you're several hundred feet up in the air. Uh, do you have the the right to deny him entry, right? It's your house. Do you have the right to deny him entry? And and the truth is, most of us would say no. You you don't have the right to deny him entry. In other words, there's there's a basic human responsibility if you're the only person critical to this person's survival and success that you would owe them that decency. Now, no matter how costly it is to you uh, to go and provide for their life. But at the same time, what we're talking about, again, is eliminating that zero-sum game and confronting that argument does not start with the argument. It starts with a story, I think. Because my our, probably the most prevalent response from the pro-life community to my body, my choice is to, it's more of a caustic response almost that how, well, you should have made that choice, yeah, you know, before you decided to have sex or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing that how, you know, you knew what you were doing and it's no longer your body because you've got another body inside of you. Instead of talking about, here's a story and here's what abortion has done to, you know, someone right. I care about, I mean, that type of thing. Um, what about the um, individuals who hold a biblical worldview and how do you approach that from a viewpoint of God's the creator of life? Um, that there's the redemption element. Um, I guess really with with both women. I mean, the woman who's pregnant and facing an unplanned pregnancy, and then the post-abortive woman. That you know what? But but how? But the that believer out there who does believe in God and follows Jesus, what do they need to know and how to respond? There is a powerful chapter of scripture that Jesus quotes because it's representative of what he came to the earth to do in Isaiah 61 that talks about his kingdom vision for all of the people we're talking about. And it just says, there are two lines that stand out to me. One, Jesus came to liberate the captive. Do you know how many people in our country right now and in our state right now feel like they have no other choice than abortion because of some form of isolation, or something that's happened in their life. Jesus would liberate them. As a church, we need to have that heart. We are liberators of the captives. That's what we are fighting for, and that should dominate our tone and how we think about ourselves and the message that we have, because that's what God's kingdom looks like. In that same chapter, it talks about Jesus giving a beautiful headdress to those who are broken and in mourning. In other words... We need to build them up. I, I will critique this. That is that most abortion healing programs in the United States in our churches help women two or three decades after they have gone through an abortion. That means two or three decades in which that decision has had time to affect every waking moment of their lives. They need healing a lot faster than that. And the way to do that in our churches is to talk about this directly. And the first thing that should be said about abortion is not who you should vote for or what it is. The first thing that you should say about abortion is if you've walked through that, if you felt that kind of isolation and felt like you had no other choice, if you feel any regret about that time in your life, there is forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. And not only forgiveness, he wants to restore you completely and use your story as a beacon of light for everyone else in that congregation who's walked through it too. If that was said in most of our churches, we would fundamentally change how this issue is looked at. And I assume you're saying change from the pulpit, from the pastor leading the way, and acknowledging, I think sometimes people don't realize that the woman sitting next to them in church, you know, there's a decent likelihood that that woman's had an abortion or been somehow impacted by it. Or that, you know, 
Yeah, the woman who, when you talk about the two or three decades later, and they realize, again, a different kind of root cause, mm -hmm. but that the root cause of whatever they're struggling with at the time is that abortion and never having dealt with it and healed. Yeah. So we need to get to these women faster. Absolutely. Correct. Yeah. And the need to reach that. Um, do you see churches being more open to that, or how, how, how do you reach churches with that message? <laughs> I think we've witnessed a lot of pastors and just churches asking for help in this area. We've consulted with a number of them, and, and so I think there's this eagerness eagerness to get it right, um, because I think that a lot of people have seen that it's been done poorly in a lot of ways. And so um, we're seeing a lot of receptiveness um, in the church community to want to reach actually reach and help the women in their congregation and it's been really encouraging at least in arizona i can say that for sure isn't I, that one of the also one of the things that we've seen in the last year that now that abortion row has been overturned that there has been a little bit of an awakening with churches as far as okay how do we respond how do we promote life I, absolutely and i think one of the drivers of that that i didn't expect is that you have at these churches that have been established and maybe shied away from this issue for a long time, you have youth pastors and young ministers and young leaders in the context of the church who have so many people around them now who are championing all kinds of different views very passionately and demanding that they take a side. Don't underestimate for Gen Z uh, and even for us, you know, young millennials. I think I can say I'm one of those. Well, maybe. Yeah. Um, it is... Everyone around us has, has freaked out since then. Being a voice of clarity and truth on this issue has never been more difficult. It's just now we live in a world where you have to say something. So if you're at a church with young pastors or young leadership uh, who need any guidance on how to share that, please put them in touch with us. It's something that we it really makes our heart beat for just sitting down with them and trying to help uh help guide them through the best, you know, how does God's kingdom and the heart of our Savior meet this issue head on in a really beautiful way? So to sum up, what is the, we've talked about a number of things, and what is, for both of you, what is the message that you most want someone listening today to go away from this discussion? I want to remind you that abortion is a failure of community. And that the goal we are all fighting for is to make motherhood a path of shared prosperity for mother and baby. Yeah, ditto. I think that's pretty good. <laughs> well, the website? Yeah, voicesforthevoiceless.org. And let me just put a pitch in here that Voices for the Voiceless is a donor-supported um, ministry. And so I would encourage listeners to go to voicesforthevoiceless.org um, and give a gift. Because the work that um, Josiah and Raleigh are doing is still, as I've said repeatedly, some of the most innovative, most necessary work in the pro-life movement today. And we all need to be supporting their work. So thank you both for taking the time. Thanks, Thanks Kathy. Kathy. Thanks for listening to Engage Arizona. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like and subscribe and leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast platform. Don't forget to share with family and friends. And if you would like to learn more, please visit our website at azpolicy.org.